$10, but he took my 10 anyway, so, uh, uh, but uh, this is really beautiful, and uh, I know the Lord's uh, doing a lot of things here, uh, and uh, trusting that uh, the days ahead will be filled with a sense of uh, His presence and grace in a big way. I, I, um, I'm Mark Nicewander, uh, and my wife Kathy, uh, we... Um, I am the director of the um, uh, Transformation Network. Uh, let me just share a little bit about what that is. Uh, uh, Vintage 242 belongs to a network of churches. Right now, there are three churches, and there's one being planted, which will be our fourth church. It will be planted up in Woodstock, Georgia. And uh, the network is basically committed to planting churches throughout uh, the greater Cobb County area, uh, for the purpose of saturating the area with uh, churches that have the same value, but uh, different expressions of their church life. Do I need to move that mic? Or are we all right? Okay. Um, same value, different expressions of how the Holy Spirit is leading each particular church to be an impact in the community where they are. So uh, that's one portion of what uh, Transformation Network's about. So we are committed to church planning. We'd love to see over the next uh, seven or eight years uh, 20 or more churches in the area that are believing God for uh, an impact upon the community, the greater community uh, that we're a part of. Uh, but the other, the other aspect of it uh, is uh, believing that God has a purpose not just for the individual churches that are planted, but for, uh, for the accumulation of what he's doing through these churches, uh, to believe that God has a, a purpose, a greater purpose, for really a release of his revival power into this community and that we would be a part of that. And so um, one of the things that we are trying to do and asking God to help us in, uh, in giving ourselves to that is to create... Uh, Opportunities where we come together as churches, uh, Riverstone, Stonebridge, Vintage 242, and now Awakening, and, uh, and that we believe together, listen to the Lord, and receive what He has for us. So uh, that's what next weekend is about, uh, the Kingdom Expansion Conference. really want to encourage you to come. It'll be Friday and Saturday. It begins Friday night, uh, Saturday morning, and then Saturday night. And uh, these... These events, we believe, are a time in which God can come and speak into our lives in a powerful way and minister to us. So uh, <clears throat> uh, please uh, make plans to be there. But also, I want to invite you and encourage you to be here tonight at 6 o'clock. I'd love to see this place packed out. This is going to be a prayer time. And it's not just praying for the conference. It's praying for kingdom expansion. Uh, in this community and believing God through the different churches that are being planted that we would see a move of the Spirit that would absolutely uh, shake and transform this community with the gospel. So we need to, we need to pray into that. As a matter of fact, uh, that's what I want to uh, preach on today is this whole issue of uh, contending and going for God in prayer as a people uh, to believe for what God wants to do in these days. So... Uh, be here tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, it'll be a good time of worship and prayer and, uh, and asking the Lord to move in significant ways in all of our churches as well as in this community. Um, uh, I was at, uh, we were at Stonebridge uh, a couple of weeks ago. Really encouraged them to come up. And Riverstone, we've encouraged them to come and be here, Awakening Church. So hopefully there'll be a representation of all four churches here tonight as we pray together. So come back uh, tonight at 6 o'clock. Uh, <clears throat> 
I want to read from uh, the Old Testament. Uh, this is out of 2 Kings, and uh, chapter 13. I'm going to skip around to several different passages in this chapter because it's a story, and uh, I'd like for you to kind of pick up the whole, uh, certain portions of the story as we move through uh, uh, the Scripture and through the message. So uh, 2 Kings 13, uh, we'll begin in verse 7. <clears throat> Nothing had been left of the army of Jehoahaz except 50 horsemen and 10 chariots and 10,000 foot soldiers. For the king of Aram, or the king of Syria, that's the nation of Syria, had destroyed the rest and made them like the dust of a, at threshing time. Then if you go down to verse 10. In the 37th year of Joash, king of Judah, Jehoiash, son of Jehoahaz, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned 16 years. And then we pick up on this story in verse 14. Now Elisha had been suffering from the illness from which he died. Jehoiash, king of Israel, went down to see him and wept over him. My father, my father, he cried, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. Elisha said, get a bow and some arrows, and he did so. Take the bow in your hand, he said to the king of Israel. And when he had taken it, Elisha put his hand on the king's hands, opened the east window, he said, and he opened it. Shoot, Elisha said, and he shot. The Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, Elisha declared. You will completely destroy the Syrians at Aphek. And he said, take the arrow, and the king took them. And Elisha told him, strike the ground. He struck it three times and stopped. The man of God was angry with him and said, you, had a, you should have struck the ground five or six times, then you would have defeated Syria and completely destroyed it. But now you will defeat it only three times. Verse 25. Then Jehoiash, son of Jehoiahaz, recaptured from Ben-Hadad, son of Haziel, the towns he had taken in battle from his father Jehoiahaz. Three times Jehoiahaz defeated him. And so he recovered the Israelite towns. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me. This is an interesting story in the Old Testament of one of the kings of Israel. Remember, Israel and Judah split, the, the tribes split, and there was a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And so here we're talking about the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. It was the first kingdom to be exiled and destroyed in terms of what used to make up uh, all of Israel. And uh, Jehoiash was the 11th king of Israel. And basically, he was, a, he was an emasculated king. I mean, the king of Israel was supposed to be a warrior and one that would, uh, would really uh, lead a powerful nation. And yet, Jehoiash was completely intimidated by the superpower of Syria. Uh, as a matter of fact, Syria so dominated the scene at that time that the king of Israel... He could do nothing in order to defeat Syria and in order to establish a strong kingdom in Israel. And he lived in this state of intimidation and fear and cowering to this superpower. Uh, his father, uh, Jehoiash's father, tried to fight the Syrians and the Syrians came in and, and put upon Israel what I would call a, kind of a strategic arms limitation. <clears throat> 
And basically what they said is, okay, uh, we'll tell you, you can have some military might. We'll let you have 50 horsemen and 10 chariots. That's all they could have. And so that's all Jehoiash had to work with militarily in order to establish his nation and protect his nation. And so here was this king, meant to be a warrior, intimidated by this superpower, this enemy, that was constantly harassing and constantly uh, creating problems for Israel. Uh, The picture to me, a lot of times, uh, reminds me of the Western church. Uh, We are meant to be warriors of the age to come. We are meant to uh, be a people that takes ground and doesn't just cower for fear of what the enemy is doing. And yet I find in the church in the West, a lot of times our posture is, well, you know, things are just so bad. I mean, the culture is unraveling and the enemy is having a heyday and about all we can do is try to survive this mess and get through it and hope that we get out of here uh, intact, you know. Again, no sense of taking the land, no sense of aggressiveness for God. It's more a sense of uh, cowering, intimidated by the enemy, intimidated by the culture and what the culture is telling us. Uh, I, I, I don't just... I guess I would say this. I not only see this in church, but more than anything, uh, a lot of times I see it in the men of the church. That I believe our culture has done something to the men of the church that causes us to draw back. Like, like King Jehoash. Instead of being a strong warrior for God, we kind of draw back and there's not much we can do. Now, Jehoash heard that Elisha, the great prophet of God, and one of the great prophets of Israel, was on his deathbed. Elisha had a sickness, and it was the sickness he would die of. And so uh, the king decided to go see this prophet, and I believe in going to see him, he realized the anointing upon Elisha, and he, and he realized that in a, in a real sense he could get a word from God through this prophet. And, and I'm convinced he went to see him basically to get some kind of uh, consolation from God about the situation he was in and to see if Elisha would have some kind of word of encouragement for him because he was in this difficult uh, situation where this superpower, this enemy, was dominating and harassing him. And so he goes to Elisha. And it's an interesting passage because as you read uh, the Scripture, you can almost... Since Elisha's on his deathbed, he kind of gives these short commands to the king, almost like a whisper. You can just see that he's kind of barely hanging on before he, he passes from this earth. But Elisha sees this as an opportunity to speak prophetically into the king and, and, to, and to speak a word through some short, direct commands to bring the king from this posture of cowering to a posture back as a warrior. A warrior who would extend the borders of Israel and defeat the Syrians. And so he, he speaks to him, I believe, through the word of God, through the voice of God, to try to bring this king to a new place, uh, to snap him out of this place of uh, fear and intimidation and bring him back into a place of aggressiveness and, and fighting for the purposes of God. Now, I want you to hear what 
Elisha says to the king, because I believe these words that he spoke are words for us. And, and a lot of times we find ourselves in, the, in situations in our, in our life with our families or in our culture or in our nation, or we find ourselves in our personal life kind of cowering and kind of intimidated by what the enemy is doing. And, and I believe these are words from the Lord to us to say, look, I want to bring you out of this place of intimidation and put you back into a place of aggressive warring for the kingdom. Aggressive warring for your life. Aggressive warring for your family. To put you back into a place, the place that you're called to be in as a follower of Jesus Christ. To live in this, this place of fighting and contending for the purposes of God. So, uh, listen to what he says and receive them into your own spirit because I think they're important for us at this time. The first thing I believe that... Uh, that Uh, Elisha speaks to Jehoash is this. Stop complaining and pick up the closest weapon to you. You see, Jehoash goes to Elisha and the first thing he says when he comes to him, uh, the first thing he does, he, he begins to gripe about his situation. He says, Oh, my father, the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. Basically, what he's saying is, Elisha, look at my situation. I mean, we only have 10 chariots and 50 horsemen. How in the world can I do anything with that? And so he's complaining about his difficult situation. He doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the equipment. He doesn't have the army. He doesn't have the weaponry to really be a strong king. And he says, how in the world can I fight? How in the world can I war with the few resources that I have? He saw this opportunity to come before Elisha, who represented God's voice, as an opportunity to complain about what he didn't have. And listen to what Elisha says to him. He basically says, listen, king, stop your complaining and go get a bow and arrow. Just get a bow and arrow. That's all I'm asking you to do. Go get a bow and arrow. And what he's saying to him is this. I want to see if you have any strength in your will to fight. So I'm asking you to go find a bow and arrow. You see, in that moment, what Elisha the prophet was seeing and what he wanted to see, does this king, does he really want to win? Does he really want victory? Or does he simply want to complain? Has he so given in that there is no fight within his will. A lot of times when we find ourselves in situations where we are being harassed and beaten up on by the enemy or whatever, our family or in our individual life or in our community, in our church, one of our temptations is to turn prayer into a gripe session. God, look what we don't have. Look what's going on. Look what's taking place. Uh, we, we don't have the resources. I don't have the money. I don't have the ability. We don't have the people. Uh, we just can't do this. And God's word to us is this. Look, stop griping and pick up the weapon that is nearest to you. Show me, show me that you have, you have an aggressiveness in your will to fight and contend for what you need to go after. 
It's, it's interesting to me that the weapon he goes to get and what Elisha told him to get was simply a bow and arrow. I mean, what's a bow and arrow in face of a superpower like Syria? I mean, it's, it's not much of a weapon. But he tells him to go get this bow and arrow, this small, insignificant uh, uh, weapon, and to pick it up. Now, for us, a lot of times what God says to us is, look, I want you to pick up what the world sees and a lot of times what the church sees as a small, insignificant weapon. And that small, insignificant weapon is prayer. Uh, the world doesn't see much power in prayer and a lot of times the church acts like there's not a whole lot of power in prayer. But that little insignificant weapon is the beginning of a movement in our will that can bring about full victory, can bring about breakthrough, and can really even propel us into a posture of believers who fight for the purposes of God. Listen, the greatest revivals that have been released upon the earth, if you trace them back far enough, begin with what looks like an insignificant prayer in the heart of some believer. Some believer says, I've had enough, and I'm going to go for this thing. And I'm going to keep going for it until I see the breakthrough. To the world, it looks insignificant. A lot of times to the church, it looks insignificant. But God is saying to us, church, listen. It's time to stop complaining. It's time to pick up the weapon that's near at hand, which is prayer and intercession, and begin to take hold of that and show that there's an intention in your heart to bring about victory. So that's the first thing he says. Stop complaining and pick up the weapon you have. The second thing is this. Welcome God's anointing over what you're doing. When Joash picked up the weapon and he got it in his hand, Elisha, with what strength he had, went over and he put his hands on the hands of the king. And as a prophet who represents the anointing of God, what he was saying in that is, King, you need to put your life under the anointing of God. If you want to see victory, you need to come under the anointing of God and believe for that. Now, again, prayer in itself is not enough. It needs to be prayer under the anointing of God. If, if we want to begin to see breakthrough in our life, if we want to begin to see breakthrough in our families, if we want to see breakthrough in our church, one of the things we have to ask the Lord to do is to cover us with His anointing, to bring His presence over our life. I see the anointing of God in two ways. One way it's the, is the presence of God. And the way we get under the presence of God is through worship, what we've just done. As a matter of fact, I'm beginning to discover that there is an incredible um, dynamic that moves in worship between worship and intercession. And you ought to give yourself to this. Worship is turning our hearts to the Lord to adore Him and to praise Him. But I tell you, in those moments of adoration, if you're sensitive to the Spirit, He can begin to show you things to pray about. And when you're under the presence of the Lord and you're praying, 
there is a greater anointing in your prayer than if you, were, than if you weren't worshiping. There is a power that can come over your life as you worship that can lead you in intercession. I, I would encourage you, as you're worshiping here every Sunday morning, say, Lord, I'm here to worship you, but I'm also here to pray. If you put something on my heart, I'm going to go for that as I worship. Because it's under the anointing of His presence that there's greater power in our prayer. But let me say there, there's another angle on this too. Uh, we come under His anointing not just through worship, but we come under His anointing by living through the power of the Spirit, the life He's called us into. There's anointing in worship, but let me tell you, there's also anointing in holiness. And if we're going after God, and if we're going after Him in our life, we'll see a new level of power in our life. And when I say holiness, I'm not just talking about some great act of sacrifice. I'm talking about everyday living. I'm talking about husbands, how you treat your wives, wives, how you treat your husbands, how we treat our children, how we live out our life. Are we living it out in the character and nature of Jesus Christ? Listen to this verse. I had not seen this for some time, but uh, I want you to hear what this scripture says. This is found in uh, 1 Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heir with you of the gracious gift of life. Now listen to this. So that nothing will hinder your prayer. In other words, he's saying our lifestyle affects the power of our prayer. And the more we give our lives to the, a lifestyle of holiness, living out the Word of God, living out uh, by the power of the Spirit, what the, what the Word of God calls us into, the more we give ourselves to that, the stronger our prayer is. The stronger our intercession is, the greater the breakthrough. So, uh, get under the anointing of God, His presence, and His holiness. The third thing that Elisha says to the king, quit hiding and take the offensive. Now, <clears throat> Elisha says once he gets hold of the bow and arrow, and Elisha puts his hands on his, his, the hands of the king, he says this, I want you to open the window, open the shutters to the east. Now, the nation that was east of Israel was Syria. And so what he was saying is, I want you to open the shutters that have been closed. I want you to open them directly to your enemy, and I want you to stare at your enemy face to face. I want you to quit hiding from your enemy and begin to look at your enemy and begin to believe that I'm going to take it down. Uh, I think one of the problems uh, with uh, Joel Ash was that he, he was living with his life shut off to Syria, pretending like it wasn't there, <laughs> and, and kind of moving around, dodging the reality of the presence of this great superpower, this great enemy that was harassing them. And uh, unfortunately, I see that in a, in a lot of Christians' lives. I believe one thing God is saying to us if we're going to war for the kingdom is this. Open the window on your greatest enemy. The biggest thing in your life that you fear the most, open the window on it. Now, for some of you, it may be sin. 
Maybe it's some ongoing sin and you're just saying, you know, I can't get rid of this thing. and I'm just going to have to live with it. And so you're kind of hopping around in your Christian life trying to avoid it or trying to cover it or whatever. And God's saying, enough of this. It's time to open the window on that sin and deal with it. You can overcome it. I've given you the grace to overcome this. And it's time to go after it. It, it, it might not just be a sin we commit. <clears throat> it may be a sin that was committed against you. Maybe years ago. And it has created a wound in your life. And that wound determines what you can or can't do. Where you can or can't go. And it is limiting you in terms of victory, limiting you in terms of the full expression of grace in your life that God wants to bring to you. And he's saying it's time to open the shutters and face this thing head on. Yes, it'll be painful, it's difficult, but the grace of God is sufficient to bring you to a place of victory. I, I, I think another area on which uh, we... We kind of shut off, and I, I see this, particularly in the church today, is disappointment. People, people have been disappointed by the church. I, I, I'm sure maybe a number of you here who have been disappointed by the church in some way, whether it's leadership of the church or people in the church. And, and some of you may have even made a vow that, you know, I'm just not going to be involved in this again. Uh, maybe it's a big deal that you're here sitting in a chair Maybe it's something you thought you would never do. But you're saying, this is as far as I'm going. I'm not going to get much involved in what's going on in this place because I've been hurt too much by the church. And God is saying, do not limit your future by your past disappointments. Open the window on your disappointment and deal with it. Go after it. Do not allow a disappointment to keep you from your destiny in the kingdom of God. Be willing to face those things that have disappointed you, deal with them, and move to what God has in, in store for you. And then here's the big one for, I think, a lot of us. There's, there may be something in your life, again, it could be your personal life, could be your family life, could be any number of places, that just seems absolutely impossible. It just can't be done. It can't be done by human ability. There's no human way to deal with this thing. And God is saying, open the window on the impossible and begin to believe me to do something there that can't be done by human ability, but that I can do. For God, all things are possible. And what God is saying is, open this thing up. Quit, quit living your life as though this is always going to be there and there's nothing you can do about it. Open the window on this. I, I think it was a big thing for, um, for the king of Israel to open the window towards Syria because Syria was a big deal. And he wanted to live his life in a way that he kind of forgot about it, that he wouldn't be reminded of it. But God is saying through Elisha the prophet, look, I want you to face this thing straight on and believe, believe that this can be changed. Uh, I want to encourage you as a church to believe God for what he wants to do in this hour. Beyond even the impossible. You know, I think one of the things as the church, again, in the United States, is that we've somehow uh, gotten this notion that there's no way to change this culture. Well, says who? 
I mean, if you want to see how bad a culture can get, you should have seen the culture before the, the First Great Awakening. You should have seen the culture of England before the Wesleyan revivals. I mean, it was spiraling out. And God sent a revival that absolutely transformed England and then began to transform the United States. We, we can't just settle in and say it's impossible. We, we need to say, Lord, we want to go after the impossible because we serve a God who can take anything and begin to transform it. And so we want to see this area change. We want to see our lives change. We want to see the, the places where we're seeing devastation by the enemy. We want to see that turned around so there truly is community transformation. So I encourage you as a church to believe in that direction. And, 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 and again, I'll put a little advertisement in here. I encourage you to come tonight. <laughs> because the only way to go after this is in prayer. Together. To say, Lord, we're contending for this. We're believing for it as a people. We're not just talking about it. We believe this is the bow and arrow you've given us. We're opening the window on this thing. And we're believing for the transformation of our community. That, that there would be a community on the face of the earth that is expressing the values of the kingdom of God. And that people from all over would come here because God is in this community. God is here. Elisha says this, Believe God. Believe that God fights with you. He told, he told the king to take the bow and arrow with the window open and to shoot the arrow out the window. And when he did, uh, Elisha began to prophesy. And he began to prophesy about that arrow. And basically what he prophesied was, was this. That arrow represents much more than one arrow. That arrow represents a missile from God that will destroy the Syrian army. That arrow represents the power of God that will take down Syria. And you need to believe that. You need to believe that this little arrow that you shot is the beginning of a series of works of God that will ultimately defeat the superpower. What, he, what he's trying to do to the king is, is to stir up within him faith that, that when he shot that arrow, it wasn't just some obedience to an act that the prophet was asking him to do. But if faith was behind that arrow, then it was the beginning of a process that will ultimately bring down the superpower. And he says that. He says, that is the arrow of God, and you will completely defeat Syria and have total victory over this, over this nation that's been harassing you and bothering you. Now, I want to encourage you that when you pray, <clears throat> realize, although it may just seem to be a small arrow that you're shooting, uh, let me encourage you to do this. Dip the point of that arrow into the Word of God. And pray the Word of God as you're praying. Because when you pray the promises of God and you pray the Word of God, you're praying more than just your prayer. <laughs> you're praying the very sovereignty of God into that situation. Listen to the, this word out of Isaiah 55:11. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So when we pray, believe that God is in that prayer. Believe that it's not just our feeble effort to make a request to the Lord, 
but take the Word of God and pray that, wield the Word of God for the purposes of God in the earth, in your life, in your, in your family, and believe for God's breakthrough in that area. Give yourself to Him in that way. The first shot uh, in, this, in this experience where, the, where the, um, the king shot the arrow, it was a prophetic, it was a prophetic volley of God's power into the atmosphere. And Elisha was saying, this begins a process that can bring down the superpower, Syria. When you pray, it doesn't mean that the very next moment that prayer will be answered. It could be. Sometimes it happens that way. But what you need to understand is that when we pray, uh, we believe because we are in Christ and He is the strong Son of Man that something is being released that is greater than who we are. And that particularly when we pray the Word of God, it has an impact and a power to transform situations and bring about the will of God and the purpose of God in that setting. So pray in faith. Believe that God is with you in this prayer, with your intercession. When we come tonight, we want to believe that God is here. He's with us. He's stirring us by the Holy Spirit, showing us what to pray how to pray His Word into these situations to believe for breakthrough. And then here's the, the, the final thing, and maybe this is the most important thing, and I, I know that uh, a number of months ago, Tammy was here with you guys, and she shared about contending prayer. And this follows up on, on what she was saying. Uh, I believe the Word of God to the King of Israel from the prophet Elisha was this. Do not settle for anything less than total victory. Give yourself to this. Go for it. Go for victory. It, no longer be intimidated. Realize who you are and go for total victory. Now, here's what happened. Elisha said to the king after he shot the arrow, he said, I want you to take the rest of the arrows and I want you to strike the ground with them. And so the king takes the arrows and almost out of a half-hearted obedience to what Elisha said, without any kind of energy or faith for what he was doing, he hits the ground three times. And then he stops. And Elisha becomes furious. And he says, do you realize what you've just done? You've just canceled out the prophecy I just spoke a minute ago. I said that the arrow you shot would take down Syria. But you have shown me with your actions, you're not interested in total victory. You're just interested in a little relief from your problems. Because you didn't show the kind of intention and passion that I'm looking for that will bring total victory. If you had struck the ground five or six times, Syria would have been taken down. But because you struck it only three times... All you're going to get out of this is three victories against the power of Syria, but you will not overcome it. You see, what Elisha was looking for was a king that obeyed enough for total victory. But what he saw was a king that would obey enough for a little bit of relief, but would not fight to see complete and total victory in this area in terms of defeating Syria. Now, uh, I think a lot of times that's our problem in prayer. We'll pray until we get a little relief. 
But we won't press in until we see the breakthrough that God is calling us into. We'll strike the arrow a few times instead of passionately taking the arrow and striking and contending as a sign of our obedience until victory is there. Keep, keep contending in prayer. I believe the most powerful characteristic of a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and this is what I think hell fears more than anything, is persistence. That we would say, even if I die contending, I will contend. Because I believe that it, it is the purpose of God to see the breakthrough that He's called us into and that total victory is ours. I was um, the other day reading uh, an interesting book and it was talking about the, uh, uh, the Normandy invasion on June 6, 1944 when the Allied troops uh, launched, obviously, the massive invasion into uh, Europe to... Uh, liberate Europe from the Nazi occupation. And uh, many of the American troops uh, came on the beaches of Normandy, which was a very tough uh, point of battle to establish a beachhead there. Uh, after that battle, uh, in which the Allied troops did establish the beachhead and launch the invasion into Europe, uh, there was some assessment done with the troops that landed at Normandy. And uh, they found this out. Of all the troops that landed there, there were only five infantry companies that were effective tactically. Only five that really showed some effectiveness in terms of, of taking the beach and establishing the beachhead. In those five companies, this is what they found out. Only one-fifth of the men fired their weapons consistently from the water's edge to the first town constantly firing away. Only one-fifth of the company of men would fire their weapons consistently. Uh, and they were able to take it even with that one-fifth. But think what would have happened if all the men were firing away all the way up to the first town. Arthur Matthew says this in his book, Born for Battle. Having a weapon... And having the will to use that weapon are not the same thing. We have the weapon of prayer. But do we have the will to use that weapon? And I'm convinced that what God is doing is that He is establishing beachheads of His kingdom through these church plants. And if we're going to take the area, if we're going to establish His work, it means that we need folks who will fire and continue to fire until the town is taken, until the area is taken. And it needs to be more than a fifth of the congregation. It need, we need to be praying people that say, this is our rightful inheritance, total victory, to see God's work in our life, in our families, and in this church in a way that, uh, that's not being seen in this hour because we believe our God can do the impossible. And we're contending in prayer until we see that breakthrough. So I, I want to encourage you in this as, as a church that, um, that God is calling you to be a praying people and to understand that this culture does not determine who you are or what you can and can't do. God determines that. And God says, you are my warriors, 
And I've called you into this position to take the territory. And I'm not looking for you to get some relief from the enemy. I'm looking for total victory. I'm looking for a move of God in this area that routes the enemy and establishes the purposes of God in a way that the rest of the world says there's something different here because God dwells in this place. Now, again, I want to encourage you tonight to come to pray together and believe together for what God wants to do. But um, here's what I'd like to do this morning. Uh, We'll have maybe a time of ministry and encourage the ministry teams to come down in just a minute. But uh, I felt like maybe the important thing to do right now is to uh, pray. I'd like to pray over the men of this church. I want you men to be the leaders in this, this prayer effort. I think many times in the church the women are the leaders in the prayer effort. But, but I believe as, as the, the position that God has given us in our families and in the church that we are to be the leaders in this effort. And so I'd like to pray over you for a release of uh, a new spirit of contending to go after God in prayer as the men of this church. And, uh, and, and to believe God for the breakthrough that we want to see in this time. So I'd like to pray over you, and then we'll open it up for a time of, uh, of ministry. Uh, uh, Tate, if you want to come on up, uh, we'll, we'll go into worship. And just-